program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. This is Minute 78. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and returning with me today is my focused, talented, and creative guest co-host, Kyle Natal. Welcome, Kyle. What? what? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's, that? how's it going, everyone? Oh, sorry, you were distracted. I was, little, I was on my phone. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. What happens in this minute? Flynn quips a bit more and lays down some elementary physics talk, and we find out that Sark is about to spring a big old ambush on our trio of heroes. Uh, Flark, sorry, Flark? I'm mixing up Sark and Flynn now. I love those names, by the way. They're just so diametrically opposed. Yeah. You can tell Sark's a bad guy. Yeah, Sark is like, oh, okay, so you're the bad guy, I guess. But I also, like, I wonder if, um, like, if, if Dillinger and Flynn worked together on a program, would you have a hybrid <laughs> Flynn and Stark? Would you get a Sark? Would you get a Would you get a Flark? It would be Flark. It'd yeah. be Flark. Yeah, I want oh, to I'm see Flark. that collab. <laughs> be pretty good. Um, or I guess it could be Sin. Mm. Ooh. Mm, there you go. Both good options. Both good options. So Flynn finishes his line about telling the guys with the jackhammers to lay off, and Tron asks him. How did you do that? And Flynn responds with elementary physics. A beam of energy can always be diverted. Are we there yet, Mommy? Which is uh, pretty funny, I guess. It's kind of like the screenwriters are like, you know what? It's physics. Don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> That's how he's doing this stuff. That's how they explain it. Uh, it's physics. You know, forget it, Jake. It's physics. What are you dumb? <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, right. Of course, you uh, could do that. I'm not dumb. I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yuri smiles a little bit, uh, I guess, at his joke and doesn't mind being called mommy, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> that bothered me. That bothered me a little bit. I was like, mm. <laughs> So uh, Tron and Yuri are deeply impressed by this totally impossible thing that he's done. And I'm not sure I totally buy his explanation, really, honestly, because I'm not a physicist, but like my body can conduct electricity. You know, and uh, <laughs> electricity is a form of energy, right? So you could divert an entire hydroelectric dam's worth of energy through my body in a different direction, but I am not surviving that process. <laughs> but it know? would make a junction, right? It would, it would make a junction, but I would be pretty crispy after that. I could be a conduit for all sorts of energy that will tear my body apart. So it's pretty impressive that Flynn dove in and gave this a shot because honestly it was a pretty dumb move <laughs> yeah. what you else know? was he gonna do though <laughs> yeah i guess so but now there's now there's proof for yori and tron that flynn is indeed a god mm-hmm. he is a god which uh now i kind of want to see a ghostbusters uh version <laughs> of like are you a god but with uh, a tron version of gozer the destroyer and uh grid versions of the ghostbusters you know some ghost gets into a computer and uh it's Gozer having failed in the real world. Now it's trying to take over the computer world. So the Ghostbusters digitize themselves and go into the grid with special packs. And we get the no, then die. You know, I'd watch that scene, but it's all electronic crankling, uh, you know, hand painted effects and digital overlays. Yeah, I'd watch that too. That'd be pretty sweet. I wonder if they ever did because the, the in the cartoon they definitely went to a computer. I'm they, sure they must have. It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon, and I think at the time they must have been like, I don't know how about computers. Yeah. I think that uh, well we have I do uh I do know an expert in such things. Christopher Stewart does the uh the interdimensional cross rip uh Ghostbusters podcast. Oh really? Yeah. So they're probably gonna be listening to this. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. <laughs> Computer, are you an idiot? They, that's not they would never. So 
but we'll see. But that's just, um, I just, as a result of this podcast, I see everything through a Tron's lens now. <laughs> I think anybody who focuses on something, they're like, oh, that reminds me in another way of Tron, you know? Right. But I just want to see Tron versions of all these movies now. Like I was thinking of a Tron Fury Road the other day. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be so cool. And that, that aesthetic and pacing, you know, or something just, there's just all sorts of stuff that I'd like to see, you know. Even a, a rom-com in a, in a Tron world would be would be pretty fun, you know, or like an honest horror in the, in the Tron mm-hmm. world. If you can get you to buy in in the beginning, yeah. that the horror is not that you're trapped in the world of the computer. The horror is something that happens inside the world of the computer that, you know, if you can sort of just set it there and have everybody accept that, mm-hmm. then go from there. That would be... That would be pretty cool. Hard challenge, though. It, it's a fruitful thing. I mean, there is Reboot, which I love that show. Great show. Yeah, it's yeah. come up It's come up a lot, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful show. And watching this again actually reminded me, I wrote a script a while back that I just never could find the ending for about a virtual reality cop that would go, like, everyone thinks, like, oh, you're going in, like, you know, be careful not to lose your mind. Like, it's so realistic. But when you get in, it's all Tron graphics. Right, okay. You know, people can't, like, the conceit is people can't, like, it's so realistic, but it's obviously not. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we would play with the audience. Like people wouldn't know if they're in virtual reality or not, but you know, as the audience. Yeah, yeah. I thought that'd be a really funny show. Like, that would be uh, really funny. <laughs> yeah. Am I dreaming? Am I? St- <laughs> yeah. Am I awake? You know? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. main plot Plainly. is that he loses his family in his second life. Like some terrorist blows up his virtual home and like it, it traumatizes him, so he doesn't go in anymore. Like I, I don't go to virtual reality. Anymore. <laughs> but yeah. you see his house and his family, and they're all like three polygons. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should still make that, but That's I just funny. couldn't figure out like how he tricks the computer in the end. Because how do you trick a computer? But I guess we'll, well get to that in, in this. It's <laughs> well, really later on in the podcast. Yeah, I almost never believe it when somebody. Uh, <laughs> tricks a god computer in, in a in a movie i'm like no no you didn't yeah you know there's a really good one in the dark tower series though oh yeah, yeah. really oh, yeah okay. that was actually probably the best one i've ever seen oh um, cool so read the uh the blaine the train uh i think it's book three or four yeah incredible stuff okay cool this is the stephen king dark yeah Tower. okay yeah. good i will because i fell i read the first two or three and i mm-hmm. i don't think i got to that part so I think I think it's Wizard and Glass is like peak that series. So read up until okay. that one. That one's okay. incredible. Awesome. Yeah, it's like nine books or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I can get, get into that. I've been tearing through books on my uh, e-reader, but I mostly do science fiction. So Well, there's a good deal of that. and yeah. It gets more sci-fi, I guess. As it yeah. But then also we'll revert back and become more Western. So it's yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. I really liked uh, like the Tommyknockers, for instance. That mm. was a good. But anyway, this is not the Stephen King could, could it be? Could it be? Could it be? It might be. Stephen King in a Tron universe? Like you're saying the <laughs> now horror we're talking. Yeah. Pet Cemetery, but in a Tron universe. They've been re-rezzed. I, I recycled it, I swear, yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes de-rezzed is better. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's see. The Wendy Carlos music kicks in hard as we cut to the game C, actually looking like a C in this shot because up till this point there's been islands and mountains but there hasn't been much of an ocean mm-hmm. going on but this actually looks like an ocean which is cool i think i had a trapper keeper that looked like this so oh yeah yeah, yeah nostalgic yeah. for me awesome fantastic yeah we get uh the grid bugs and stuff so it's good to see an actual ocean looking part of the grid and i love this this piece of music because it's got the action it's got this tron feel but it's also got this deep brooding kind of 
under melody of menace to it it's kind of like in uh, star wars when you'd feel like you'd hear the love theme but you'd also the imperial death march would be underneath it somewhere and so you'd get this these two music tones happening at the same time which is i, I i'm really into it this is a part of the piece called the light sailor so it's one of my favorite tracks in the film but it's you know whatever it's hard to choose i think i say that every time every the track. music starts I'm like oh this is this is my favorite this is my favorite one you know and it's like yeah, you just said that about the other one. Well, they can they can both be my favorite. How can I pick? How can I pick? The Solar Sailor is uh, spends a long time threading between these giant towers with windows in them, which I think these towers were also referenced in Legacy, if I'm not mistaken, because they're they're flying through a bunch of towers in the uh, in the end of Legacy. But they look really cool, and I don't know. I mean, again, this is like, well, what's their function? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they? Are they some sort of a grid equivalent of a desalination plant? Are they mining the raw data in the sea for a digital currency, you know? Are they, like, using the waves to create some form of energy? Or maybe they're prisons. Or do they just look cool? Or do they just look cool, yeah. <laughs> Are they high-rises that go all the way down to the ocean floor? Yeah. Or do they just look cool? I just It would be cool to live in one of those buildings and just see the solar sailor go by occasionally. I guess it would be kind of like be living right beside a, a subway or a SkyTrain or, right. or something like that. So noisy and annoying. So <laughs> noisy and annoying. These are the, these are the, the <laughs> $50 a month apartments. It's like, well, we can only... Yeah, you can only get so many bits together. Well, we get so many bits together. You gotta, we gotta live right beside the solar sailor. Uh, I don't know. Maybe again, maybe it'll say in the novel or the screenplay what the purpose of these buildings are. But we'll see. If it's anything like the tunnel, <laughs> maybe not. This is probably just more. We need to give something right for yeah. them to, to look at. So they leave the ocean towers and start heading through a deep valley back in the mainland. Now, I guess, not too far from the MCP. I assume. They glide through this deep U-shaped valley with blue walls. Maybe it's nighttime now. I'm not sure because I don't think there is such a thing. Yeah, as... it doesn't seem like there. Well, there's also no shadows, basically. Yeah, right. So <laughs> or limited shadows. Limited. Yeah. Sh- I guess maybe there's power parts of the grid that have power and they're brighter, and this right. doesn't have any power, so it's a little darker. It's a, it's a CPU cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a day or night thing. Um, let's see. The solar sailor, interestingly enough, seems to be moving really slow right now. It's not cooking along the way it was. It's not sprinting. So I don't know if it's running out of energy or if it's conserving energy or if they, they probably have a throttle control, but I think they're, they're, they're in a rush, right? So I don't... Yeah. Well, they need the dialogue to get through. So they're like, we can't go too fast. Yeah, yeah, true. And this whole scene coming up isn't going to work if, uh, if they're not there, so... Yeah, if they just run away again. So there's a, there's a killer. This is one of my. This is a really killer shot right here, where the solar sailor, you know, scooches past the camera with the energy beam sort of bisecting the lower third of the frame. The solar sailor goes past the wall of the canyon, and it's not immediately apparent that we're actually looking through a crack in the canyon wall um, until we see, oh no, Sark's cruiser is uh, sort of behemoths by the, the, the crack, like some sort of Leviathan submarine in the background, silently cruising along like a, like a predator, waiting for the right moment. So tension is ratcheting here. You're like, oh, geez, he's right there. He's right there. It's like a great white shark or a whale or something like that. You were having them both in the same frame like that. And uh, you're right, the staging of it, it's yeah. great. And yeah. I, I, I remember that shot as well. I mean, just even the design of Stark's ship is so amazing. Yeah. Every time you see it, it's it's really really cool to see. Because they could have made it just a long rectangle, you know, like it, but they, <laughs> they made it like this this wild the design of it. That's uh, I think it's a Sydney design. 
for the for the probably took a data render frame. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, um, the shot holds as we see its immense bulk keep on sort of spooling past the crack. Uh, we get a shot looking down the beam at the solar sailor, and the camera swivels over, and we see that the valley they're in is about to intersect with the valley that Sark is in, and that Sark is lying in ambush. Oh, did, no. Did Sark plan this? Uh, I, oh I, I'd God. like to think so, but... <laughs> You've just... I so... Now I'm hoping it's an accident. <laughs> now I'm hoping he's like, well, we'll never find them. I, oh, my gosh, they're right in front of us. That would be... Uh, yeah, he's just belittling somebody. Why can't we find them? <laughs> <laughs> and now he's taking credit for it. I, I totally got them, MCP. Uh, part of my master plan. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they did not randomly land in front of my car, you know. Like, like a Pulp Fiction thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Yeah, <laughs> well, totally. That's Marsalis right there. That's kind of what I want to imagine the scene happen. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's a good, uh, that's a good, I like that one. It's a good riff on it. We get some nice little trills here on a flute, I'm guessing. More little tension notes in the music. We get a shot of the crew on the sailor. Flynn is leaning back on the balustrade, super relaxed, while Yori is bent over the controls to the sailor. They both look really chill and unsuspecting of any kind of danger. Uh, Tron is walking up the shaft of the sailor towards the bow. We see the cruiser come out of the valley towards the solar sailor on an intercept course as the music crescendos and the rumble of the cruiser rises to deafening levels. Um, on the front of the cruiser, we can see a square hangar bay sort of diamonding open in an X shape, kind of like the hangar bay doors back in the actual uh, solar sailor hangar when it was parked at the beginning of this chase. Tron's walking up and looks up to notice Sark just as the minute cuts off. It's like, oh no. Yeah. Tune in next week to find out if they... I guess it was intentional because they opened the door. Like, yeah. Why would you open the door? You see otherwise? the door slowly open, so you're like, oh, I guess you have to concede that this is uh, this is an on-purpose thing. I don't know how they found them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess there's just the one line or two lines. I mean, the book says that there's a lot of these. Yeah, the book says that there's thousands, but... There's, I didn't uh, see a lot of them. I sure didn't see a lot of them. <laughs> That's the only thing about the movie is, uh, you know, they're kind of reacting like, they got away from us, you know, where could they possibly be? And it's like, they're going in a straight line to the MCP. Do you know how hard this is to animate? They're going in a line. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so uh, they know where they're headed. I think they would just be better served by setting up a huge blockade right around the right around the MCP. That tunnel? Perfect place to put uh, a knot tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, put a knot tunnel. What do you call those things, those knot tunnels? <laughs> yeah, put some sort of just... Nail up some boards over one end of the tunnel <laughs> yeah. and think, well, one of those big de-resing things. <laughs> de you know that game. they have. I don't know how. <laughs> like, why did he destroy? Okay, this is for a later minute. But why did he destroy his whole his whole ship? Yeah, that's another thing. It, it, it adds another sort of ticking clock element. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, don't you need that? Look, that's your that's your ship. You just throw these things willy nilly. Like I don't, you know, maybe they'll well they'll probably maybe there's some excuse for it in the. In the novel of the screenplay. But uh, in the novel, Flynn thinks, like, one thing that kind of makes sense is that his body is energy in the grid. Mm. It's not meat. So uh, that's why this could work. That's okay. why this sort of solar sailor energy diversion thing could work. Um, and also he says, are we there yet? And leaves out the mommy. So I guess that was... Uh, uh, I already like it better. Yeah, yeah. 
And this causes Yori to say, almost, I just have to go adjust our course to the next junction or something like that. So they're all hoping that the switcheroo with the energy beam might make Sark think that they were destroyed and that he's given up the chase. Uh, The towers in the ocean uh, aren't mentioned at all, (laughs) just like the valley and uh, Sark. uh, It's just the valley and Sark popping out of a neighboring chasm in a surprise attack. I kind of would have been neat to see Sark come up from underneath them. Yeah, you know, like more a, a little bit more foreshadowing because yeah. I mean they do have a, a bit of lead up uh, more than most of the moments in the film actually. But yeah, it would have been nice to have a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. In the screenplay, it's the same thing. Um, Flynn does say "mommy" in the screenplay, mm. unfortunately, but there are no mentions of the towers and uh, sharks. Uh, sharks. <laughs> I keep calling him Stark or Shark throughout this entire podcast. This has been. <laughs> His ship uh, pops up a lot quicker without much foreshadowing. So I think in the in the movie it's better because you've got these beats of mm-hmm. it's getting closer, it's getting closer, you know. So so that's a bit more tension there, which is good. It could be that that was determined in editorial. Like I noticed a lot of things in the film where they would freeze frame. Could be for simplicity that they just you know reprinted the same frame over and over. But like uh, for instance, when Ram um, derezzes. You can tell that he's just a, a freeze frame. Like Flynn is just frozen, right? Um, maybe because the performance they didn't have the the anticipation on set. Like the actor didn't wait, you know, a few seconds before yeah. going in. Yeah. So I feel like uh, they added in a, like a few moments like that throughout. Of just we need more anticipation or more just of a pause bef- between these for pacing reasons. Yeah, and if you've got something happening in a different part of the frame, that's like catches your eye. And you can't see it until it's done. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the compositing process. Like, what was editing it this like? I mean, I've edited a few mocap uh, films, and oh my gosh, that's that's difficult. And yeah. you can see, and you can see the stuff. Yeah, right. And you can see it. So, yeah, like every time I really start thinking about the the production process of this movie, it's just like wow. Wow. It's a miracle it turned out. It's a miracle it turned out. Like cuz they finished, I think they talk a little bit about how they finished uh they finished shooting in I think like early December and the movie was coming out in July. No. Right? So they had like, you know, whatever 7 or 8 months to just grind through this and get it ready for uh for production, which I'm like, did you guys sleep, you know? Like cuz the Taiwan team was pretty huge. Yeah. But I don't know. There's so much, uh, like even just modern compositing that I do a lot of. Yeah. Things surprise you all the time. Sure. And right. It's just how did they roll with the punches and get through the technical difficulties? Yeah. Like they had no choice. Like, well, okay. We we work in games. Do you yeah. work in games primarily, or is yeah, most, primarily? Yeah. My entire career has most, mostly been around games. The um. The key concept in games is the iteration time, right? Yeah. Like nothing starts off good and it just keeps getting better and better and better after a lot of passes. And you don't actually, it doesn't look good until maybe like the 70% mark, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, in this film, they just had to nail it in one. Yeah, they had to nail it in one. And that's one of the things when people say they want to become a game tester. You know, like it must be great to just get paid to play games all day. And I'm like, no, you're playing broken games. (laughs) You're playing garbage games. You're playing awful games, you know, around about the, you know, eight months of the one year mark, they'll start to be playable games Mm -hmm. that you could actually like playing. Like you're grinding away on, uh, you're trying to find problems with stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, you're right. It's it's like coming into focus. 
I think somebody said once it's like building a plane during takeoff, mm-hmm. you know, which I uh, which I've always really liked that that metaphor for I guess both filmmaking and uh, and game making. But yeah, yeah. So in this, they had to nail it in one. They would find out. They would, you know, eighteen layers. Send it to Taiwan. They would send it back, all hand painted. Okay, let's see how it turned out. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, geez, that didn't work. It's like, I wonder how many times stuff didn't work. Yeah. Because I how don't say they throw out. Yeah. I don't know if they, it was even possible for them to do reshoots with the way things were. I don't think that they could. Yeah, I think that they had to, to get it um, within their, their shooting window. Yeah. And also, they talk about how if there was ever uh, like a crowd shot, they were mostly shot separately and then comped together because the the focus on the the sixty five millimeter camera is so shallow. Yeah, that like if they're even remotely wow. on the different plane, then they're out of focus. Mm-hmm. So like shots where you see Sark's face filling the screen, like the director would be asked, like, "Do you want us to focus on the tip of his nose, like the front of his eye, or the middle of his eye? You know, or like you know the the, the front of his ear or the back of his ear?" And you're like, "Wow, these choices." So. <laughs> But it looks great. I'm glad they decided to do it uh, 65 millimeter inside the the computer world. They were going to try to do a thing where the they were going to do the outside in 35 and the inside in 65. Hmm. So that that transition of like it'd be sort of just like regular regular film footage on the outside, and then when he goes into the world, it's this huge vista, you know. And uh, but they decided to just do the whole thing in 65. Wow, really technical stuff. Uh, you know, with so much light, they like because to get the high contrast look, they had to like just pour so much light in there. Yeah, that must have been very uncomfortable for everybody. They had to pour light into it with a black background that had to stay black. Mm-hmm. So they had to like light up the characters, but not light the background. And every part of them, because they had to rotoscope around yeah. the characters too. Yeah, like whew. yeah, really, really wild technical challenges. The likes of which I don't think have ever been seen again. Like there's 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 some stuff that was done in this movie that was never done again. Or stuff that they found out a much better way to do it. <laughs> for a good reason. For a good reason. <laughs> never done again. Yeah, for good reason, never done again. They're like, people, are you still, you want to do that again? Are you out of your mind? We found a better way. Great. Let's never do that again. You know? Yeah. Well, it takes us up about, I think, to the end of minute 78 here. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um. Oh, I don't know if you've mentioned it yet, and I don't know if this is the right time for this, mm. but uh, in my research for the film, apparently the Oscars denied its... Yeah. Did you talk about that before? Yeah, 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 we did. They uh, they thought that their computers were cheating. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, it's funny considering how much hand animation actually ended up in the film. There's not that much CG animated no. stuff, really. There's like 14 minutes of it or something, and it's still like a, like a huge amount Yes, for the time. I'm yeah. crazy. Like I think Steven Lisberger said, it still has the record for uh, human beings, uh, live actors comp- comped into CG backgrounds. He says he doesn't... I, I, I would imagine that that record's been broken since, especially mm-hmm. in recent times with the Marvel movies. Sky but Captain and the World Sky, of Tomorrow. Yeah, for instance, right? <laughs> Broke the record. Yeah, shattered it. <laughs> Left everybody in the dust. But, uh, you should do a podcast on that movie. That movie's crazy. The yeah. story behind that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's for another podcast. I think someone has. Ooh, uh, check that I'm out on the list. To that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been fantastic having you for this trio of minutes. Thank wonderful you so book. much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm really, really glad to have your your movie brain, uh, you know, involved with this one. 
Uh, so if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at TronologicallySpeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at TronologicallySpeaking or send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute listeners page. Go to Pond5 for all your music needs and also go over to MoviesByMinutes.com where this and many, many other uh, Movie by Minute podcasts are listed. And if you don't see your favorite movie there, Maybe consider doing one yourself. Sky Captain. Sky Captain. Yes, make it happen. It's coming up. Sky Captain, do it. If it's not there, get on that one. Um, do you want to try a little uh, end of line on three? I would love to. All right. One, two, three. End, end of, of line. line.